It is starting. I bet we're about to hear the music. I bet we are too. Pretty cool, huh? Maybe. Technology. I feel like I'm waiting for it. And there it is. All right. Well, welcome everybody to the Why Aren't You Famous podcast with your co-hosts. Why are you looking at me like that? And your voice is especially like, welcome to Dubba Well, Wait, as, who are as you? I once Just learned, go ahead and say your name. Just, you, you gotta shake what your mama gave you. <laughs> my name's Andrew Grimm, and my co-host is... I'm Ellen Cherry. Ellen Cherry. All right. Right on. What's been going on? What's been happening? I don't know. Not much. <laughs> I see... This is going to be the fastest podcast episode ever today. Well, let's say we can aim for efficiency. I mean, we've already wasted a whole minute of people's lives <laughs> and of our own spent. You Wait, know, sorry. I didn't mean to start invested. something. Invested. You know, it, 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 there will be a dividend. There will be a return on investment. Great. I can't wait to experience the ROI. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know what's been going on. Um, and it's been a week since we've recorded the episode two. Yes, what a week it has been. Man, whirlwind Thanksgiving. <laughs> that was a whirlwind. President Dipshit finally decided to... He hasn't well, decided anything. He hasn't well, conceded. Well, no, he, he, no he, well, he, he's given the go-ahead for the transition. How gracious. I'm not saying he's gracious. <laughs> right. I'm talking about like the positive things that have happened this week. Um, what else positively happened this week? Oh, in Thailand, they found a bird's whale that's like the skeleton of a bird's whale that's like 5,000 years old, and it's going to tell them about climate change. Whoa. Because, yeah, it's fascinating. I was reading about it yesterday. That's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. You want to hear some vocal fry? Sure. Absolutely fascinating. <laughs> that's like worse. You're like a robot. You're like a vocal fry robot. That was like the garage man robot yeah. sound. Yeah. I can't do it now that I'm thinking about it. Right. It's, it's got to really, be natural. It's, it's got to really, be off the cuff. It has to be off the cuff. cuff. Yeah, it has it to works. be off the cuff. There you go. <laughs> it's a Valley Girl bot. Oh, man. Maybe that's what I'll watch like, tonight. Like, you know, <laughs> like gag me with a bassoon. What? Okay. Now it's been three minutes of people's lives that they have invested. I hope they're feeling the, the, the return. <laughs> now, this is hard to do because it's weird. Because nothing, nothing's been going on. It's like, it's, it's literally the same kind of like deal. Like you're living phase one, phase zero, phase negative four, whatever it is you're doing down there in Baltimore. You're in your bunker. <laughs> right. You know, you have all these canned goods and you can constantly clean them off. Uh, you disinfect everything. Right. That comes in there. I've been listening to my upstairs neighbor cough for a week. Mm -hmm. Waiting for the, you know, the virus to somehow make it through the... <laughs> The porous version, uh, the porous areas of your ceiling, right? To descend upon you like like avenging uh, furies. Don't say avenging, because I don't. I just don't want to even get into like DC versus Marvel. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Because everyone's like, "Oh, you got to see the Avengers movies," and I see them, and it's just like, didn't this come out like eight years ago? Yeah, I know, but living in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't going nowhere. Do we have to pay for the rights to use that? Yeah, you better send that guy a couple bucks. He's got a kid on the way. Anyway, today we are talking about... <laughs> what's the topic we chose, Mr. Andrew Grimm? Uh, we chose practice. Practice. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Yeah. Well, is that a goal? 
Like, are you not anymore? Because it doesn't. Well, I mean, maybe because like I could probably now draw enough people to fill Carnegie Hall to capacity because it's probably at what ten percent capacity, right? <laughs> so maybe I could finally draw that many people. Yeah. Um, so is Carnegie Hall the goal? Well, I think that's what we should talk about. Is it? Yeah, because that's I don't think what. So. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, let's let's think of other cliches that have the word practice in it. Practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, practice what you preach. Ooh, good one. Yeah, like, look at that. Um, Boom, a stinger. Right man, the, the first thing that popped in my mind was like, how is the word? How am I gonna be like do the mental twisting to get um, practice into somehow the word preach? Because it made me think of Papa, don't preach. I'm in <laughs> trouble deep. Papa, don't preach. I've been losing sleep. Okay, I now it's been mind, four minutes. But I'm keeping my baby. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Wow, I love my we've baby. lost everybody by now. Hold on a second. I'm just getting in the groove now. I'm really. That's not the lyrics right there? My, yeah, yeah, it sure does. Anyway, pr- other pun, other cliches with the word practice. Um, uh, God, that's, maybe that's it. Maybe we've got, reached we, the end of the we road. We exhausted it. Because <laughs> you know what? We're out of practice with this. <laughs> right. You know? I was thinking like when I, when I started writing my essay uh, and I was thinking about it, I was, I wanted to talk about the different applications of the word practice. I didn't, I didn't do it, but. Yeah. Let's um, talk about that right now. Like the practice of medicine, the art or the practice of law, right? all the things that you're supposed to be practicing that we actually hire people as though they're totally have reached the state of perfection. Well, I'm a practicing Buddhist, you know, the, the idea of like, yeah, that's why I think the word practice is so funny because we always think of practice as like, you know, you're, you're working on a skill or you're trying to get better at something. And then when they're like, oh, yeah, no, he's practicing law. I was like, well, I don't think he's ready to be my lawyer yet. <laughs> he's, he's just practicing. But that's not what that means, obviously. The, right. It's morphed over the years. But still, it's weird. It's an odd thing. And, and where does practice come from? I didn't look up the etymological history um, of the word. I think uh, well, that's redundant. Well, it's it's from it's. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's it's prac from the Latin, uh, prac- praxis probably. Yeah, probably something yeah. like that. And then, oh, Mr. O'Shea, yeah. how I, how much I have forgotten since your class in nineteen ninety ninety one wow. and ninety two when I took Latin from Mr. O'Shea. No, you were in high school then, weren't you? I was in high school. I took three years of Latin. Wow. Dang, girl. I know. I used to go to like competitions and stuff. What? Yeah. How'd that go? Terrible. Oh. It's a dead language. It's a very complicated language. Yeah. I also took a semester of Greek where I learned how to say <laughs> things like every, all the text that we translated was like somebody talking to their ox. <laughs> well. Like scolding their ox, like just giving their ox a really. A real bad time. Hard time. And it's like the. <laughs> Like, you know, and now that I'm older and I want to reimagine things, I want to go back and put into Greek text the ox's perspective. Like, man, I know I'm not as smart as you because I didn't figure out how to put a yoke on your back. <laughs> but do you have to be such a jerk about it? How do you say that in Greek? Mm, that's good. I, yeah, I would say something funny right now, but I... But that's already hilarious. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yes, Latin and practice. Latin and practice. <clears throat> I don't even know the German word for practice right now. Was bedeutet, or wie sagt man, practice, auf Deutsch. Mm-hmm. Somebody can put it on a comment that maybe I'll, we'll get to it somehow. Hmm. 
Wie sagt man practice auf right. Deutsch? Right. Which means, how do I say practice in German? Hmm. How did you, um, like growing up when you, you took piano lessons? Yes. Um, you know, was your teacher always like on you about practice? You probably practiced all the time though. Well, why don't we listen to my essay? Oh, is that what it's about? Yeah, a little bit. I only listened to the first like couple words to make sure I got the volume well, on. Well, okay, well, I'll go first again this week. Oh, okay. Ladies first. Let's just get to it. Okay, we're going to get to it. All right, here we go. Today's, or ugh, this week's subject <laughs> is practice, as if you, if you didn't know by now, listener. Dear, dear listener. Whenever I sit down to a piano, the first thing I play is a scale. Just a few octaves, and it's a way to learn something about the instrument that I'm playing. Practicing and performing on my guitar is so familiar because it's always the same guitar. Piano is different. I almost have to relearn some things, sometimes really quickly because I don't have the luxury of traveling with my own piano. This pandemic has changed that. I only play this piano now. At the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020, I remembered that I had this book of Johann Sebastian Bach's Inventions and Sinfonias. I have listened to them play by musicians who have dedicated their entire lives to the mastery of the piano and this music. Sometimes these pieces sound deceptively simple. The one I am currently working on is Bach's Invention Number no. 4 in D minor, so I'll play a D minor scale to warm up. My parents gave me the gift of many years of piano lessons as a child. My mother would set a timer on the microwave for 30 minutes of practice per day, and the clock was visible from my seat at the piano. I would watch the moments tick down slowly and run my scales and work through the pieces my teacher had assigned. It all seemed very boring at the time and was usually in preparation for an end-of-year recital. I did not consider it a gift at the time. It was a chore. I started working on this invention in August. Months later, it's now late November, and what I'm truly understanding is there is a reason why people dedicate their entire lives to one instrument, to certain pieces of music. It takes a type of extreme specialization to recreate Bach's original auditory visions from 400 years ago. Sure, I might be able to eventually play this piece in a way that sort of resembles how it was intended, but I'm not playing any of the trills, and I frequently mess up the phrasing. But it's okay, because it's usually only me who hears it. When I started learning this piece, it sounded like this. It's in 3-8 time and is marked to be played allegretto, which is fairly fast. It should sound more like this. That's the right hand telling one story, and soon the left hand is telling another. Years ago, when I started composing my own music and began performing it, my practice began to be almost solely for the purpose of preparing for gigs. The pandemic has curbed live, in-person performance for many of us. So I wonder, 
what is the point of practicing now? Maybe because I'm older and I'm the one setting the timer, I've started to observe myself at the piano. I frequently sweat while I'm practicing this music. I'm nervous and excited, and often I hold my breath for the whole piece. I've even had to mark places where I need to take a breath. Practice has changed into something that is just for myself. After the slow drudge I make through the brambles of these Bach pieces, I finally get my hands to play together at a reasonable speed. I start to glimpse the emotional landscape he's painting with these notes. The timer beeps and I laugh because that's another 30 minutes, gone. I've realized through this practice that I no longer need a witness for it to feel real or for it to be worthwhile. So now I'm going to play the whole piece for you, mistakes and all. Invention in D minor. Yep. Woo! That takes me back to my guitar, my college guitar class. Yeah, I know. That's right. You know this piece. Yeah. Well, parts of it. That's what old Derek Day had us do as a warm up. And it just evolves into a scary clown song. That sounds just like what I just played. The beauty of it and everything. I know, right? Well, that's a very good essay. Way to go. Thanks. Good work. Thanks. Um, you know, the the whole idea of like, I remember when you went to Texas uh, recently and you um, took the MIDI controller that has half-weighted keys. Yeah. I don't, when I, when are I talk, they even semi-weighted? They're semi-weighted, yeah. They don't feel semi-weighted. They are semi-weighted. I have a fully unweighted keyboard over here if you want to they're feel, terrible feel why the play any of that stuff i don't even know how people do it uh practice right <laughs> oh wait <laughs> but i remember talking to you on the phone about like you know asking you how it was going and you're like ah this midi play i just i can't i, I don't know how people do this because it's not that piano and that's the one thing you were saying in your essay is like only this piano is what i want to practice on or i can practice on yeah and that's the thing about practice it helps you develop a relationship with that instrument yeah. You know, because you spend so much time with it. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I mean, I, I have my 
20 guitars or whatever, but I always go back to the same two when I'm practicing. Yeah, I know. That's why I definitely have been thinking about like, especially now as I think for a lot of people are going to be making decisions like this about instruments to sell just because of like, what's the point of having so many instruments? I'm only playing this one guitar. Why do I have four guitars? Um, Cause they're awesome. Yeah. But that wasn't really the, I mean, yes, getting to know the intimacy of one instrument um, has been actually, I would consider it like sort of a little um, gift of the pandemic for me that I've gotten to, first of all, spend the entire summer in Baltimore, which is the first time in 20 years that I've done that. But also I have no excuse for not practicing piano. Mm -hmm. I have, it just sits there and I live in a one room apartment. So it's just constantly like, Hey, staring at you. Hey, how's it going? So yeah, it is getting to know that one instrument. But I think for me, the, the stuff that I wanted to convey in that essay was more that it's um, practice has absolutely changed in the last eight months for me because mm. I'm not doing it for the reason that I did it in the previous 20 years. It's morphed into something that's just like, oh, this is, it's almost, especially with the Bach pieces, kind of like back to being impressed with yourself and amazed with yourself and not for the purpose of showing anyone else. Like I just get such, it's scary and thrilling and I'm sweating and I'm not breathing and I'm like, why am I this nervous? I'm completely alone. I mean, I guess the neighbors can probably hear it and they're probably like, just get it together, speed it up right there. Oh, you keep missing that one sharp. Well, plus Denny and Lenny are probably weighing in on it. They actually like it. When I was practicing, mm -hmm. I played a bunch of guitar today and um, when I play guitar, I sit pretty close to, to their habitat and... Um, they both get really relaxed. Hmm. They both lay down. Hmm. I think it's comforting because I have such a smooth. Or they're they're just going limp and waiting for it to be over. <laughs> like this just is torture. Move. Just don't move. Their favorite band is Dionverd, and they're like, <laughs> I can't stand this hippie songwriting love bullshit. <laughs> uh. Um. So yeah. Yeah. Um. So at the end of your essay, you talk about. 30 minutes gone and you know, it's kind of bringing back that full circle of your mom setting the 30 minutes mm -hmm. uh, on the microwave. That's a cool little writing thing, but also, you know, I couldn't help but think also that in that same part, when you're talking about your mom, you're talking about how, you know, these were gifts, but you saw them as chores. And I was wondering if you still feel like, do you still feel like it's a chore now to get to that piano? Like, like without the motivation of a show or something like that, you know, and, you, and you're asking that, like, what's that, what's the point type of thing? Like, well, what kind of emotional thing do you, are you getting out of it or trying to get out of it? I think that's, um, a side effect of depression does make most things feel like a chore. So I have to like consciously separate the times when I felt like it's a chore because I have depression and I'm depressed and I'm combating it. Or if it's a chore because, it's just a remnant of that childhood, like a visceral childhood memory of being forced to do something. Not really forced. It's not like my mother was just like, you know, there was no threat except for the threat of disappointing somebody, which in sure. my world is very, very serious. Like as a child, I didn't want to disappoint anybody. I st as an adult, I don't want to disappoint people. Um, I've learned to make that impulse less um, restrictive, but it, that takes practice too. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, I think that that's why 
it's fascinating to me with, with these specific pieces on the specific instrument is that I'm like intimidated by them. So I don't want to practice, but then when I do practice, it takes so long to get better. <laughs> and then three weeks later when I've made progress on like these four measures and they suddenly take flight, I feel like an athlete. Yeah. And I feel like I have, when I've achieved, you know, the, the last mile of a long swim, like I, it was a marathon and I made it through it. Um, it feels like an achievement. And I think that I used to associate the achievement with doing that successfully in front of somebody else. And now that I'm completely alone, my mother is even in the house. She's 1,300 miles away. Um, it feels less like a chore and more like a sign of a good life mm -hmm. to me. Like I'm just like, oh, I'm actually living a life that if I stepped outside of it truly and looked at it, I'd be like, oh, you just got to play piano for 30 minutes a day or longer, typically an hour and a half. In, of, your, in your New York style apartment. In my New York style apartment in awesome Baltimore City. Yeah, see that, that little picture of you with the beard. Yeah, I have a picture of me, myself. That you, <laughs> that you tell everybody about. Dear listener, I have a picture of myself. I was probably around six or seven and I had made a red... I'd taken a piece of red construction paper and made myself a little tape on beard, which is fascinating when you think about it. Like, but, what? <laughs> but, but the whole thing that when you bring that up at, at, at shows and you talk, you've talked about it on the podcast is like, you, you try to be kind to that child, you know, it's, right. it's, it's about recognizing that child, but you know, you never talk about what that child would recognize in you. And so, yeah, if that child, if, if, if the, you know, however old you were at that time, 18, 19, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> um, but if that, if, if, if your younger self could see you now, she'd be pretty impressed. Maybe. I don't know. I was a weird kid. Uh, you, you were really into <laughs> banking and making a lot of money as a child, right? Yes. I was yeah. basically, what's his name? Gordon Gecko. Yeah. <laughs> With just long, butt cut, blonde hair. Right. Greed is good. <laughs> um, yeah. The 30 minutes thing, though, that, that when you said the 30 minutes gone... Mm -hmm. I do have like this memory of being that age and just feeling like each of those minutes was just so long because I spent a lot of time outside as a kid and mm -hmm. um, running around and by the power lines and the <laughs> right industrial on the concrete and concrete of, of Plano under shade of no trees in Plano, Texas. Um, so it just seemed agonizing, especially in the summertime when everybody's like out ha having fun. And now I'm like that 30 minutes is maybe it's because especially now for me i've been having trouble separating from the news and from social media i've been struggling with that for the past couple of months and so setting myself a timer and then like it just disappears like yeah. i will be so lost and completely focused in that and there's little else that does that for me now oh man sounds good yeah <laughs> All right, let's listen to your essay. Okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, sure. My essay. Hot off the press. Hot off the press, that's right. All right, here we go. Practice. Revelation 1. 
My very first interaction with a guitar was at Robbie Preston's house when I was in 7th or 8th grade. We were watching MTV, and Eddie Van Halen was on the stage, smiling and bending strings like he was something super special. In my burgeoning teenage cynical angst, I said, I could do that. That's not that hard. Robbie ran to his bedroom and brought out an old electric guitar from his dad's teenage foray into rock and roll. He handed me the guitar and said, show me. I held that guitar in my hands. I looked at it. And then I said, yeah, I have no idea. And it was true. I had no idea that you had to press the strings down to the frets just to get a sound out of the guitar. Later that year, maybe inspired to never embarrass myself like that again, I saved up $178 and bought my first guitar. I started to practice. I didn't have anything to practice for other than to learn, to gain some skills, to emulate the sounds I was hearing from the tapes I was obsessively playing on my boombox. Practicing was an introduction. Revelation 2. For the next 10 years, I practiced off and on. I played bass in a band during my senior year. I had no idea what I was doing. I had only a few months of formal lessons, and then I ended up learning on my own. And it wasn't until 1996, when I really started to go to club shows, that I understood where practice could take me. I started listening to that Americana alt-country stuff, the Jayhawks, Steve Earle, Gillian Welch, Emmylou Harris, Uncle Tupelo, Son Bolton, Wilco. I went to their shows, and I was transformed. The songwriting was great. The playing was transcendent. And the real kicker was that they made it look so effortless. It wasn't the flair of Eddie Van Halen, but it was the understated mastery of minimalism that caught my ear. So I started writing songs with a new sense of purpose, learning to play the guitar enough to convey the idea, but leave enough space for the words to speak. It's a delicate balance between those ideas. The words are the words, but the music holds the tension, shades the emotions, builds the anticipation, releases the breath. What I learned is that making it look easy is hard to do. Practice became an investment, building up a wealth of skills that I can draw on to shape musical ideas and song structures, especially when recording a record. But when playing a live show, that's a completely different deal. Revelation 3. Think of the worst show you've ever seen. Think of the worst show you've ever played. I've seen and played a lot of them. Most often when I experience my own poor performances, I usually chalk it up to, man, I gotta go home and practice. So true, so true. And here's the thing with bands. You have to practice at home, then rehearse with the band. In order to be ready for that big show, you have to have your A game ready for yourself. Hopefully you and your band are on the same page. These rehearsals are not so much different than practicing on your own, except you're adding two or five variables to the mix. It's like you're opening a joint account with a couple of people, and everyone has to buy in and keep adding to that stack, because y'all are saving up to buy something big, a show or a tour. What I've found, and most music folks will confirm, 
Those first few shows on a tour can be stiff, awkward, uneven. They can still be cool and fun, but at some point, you hit a groove and everyone starts to read each other's minds. Anticipation fades into syncopation without the effort of concentration. One of the best live bands I've ever seen was the DC group Canyon. I worked with them as a studio engineer on a couple of recordings. They had a management and their profile was on the rise. I went to see them at the sidebar in Baltimore on the last night of a long, long tour. They looked tired. They were already a really great band, but after all of that touring and playing and touring and playing, you'd think they would have just phoned it in. But muscle memory and knowing why they were there made for one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Even when Joe Winkle threw his Telecaster into the giant gong on stage, it was musical. Revelation 4 As I canceled all of my shows and tours for 2020 at the beginning and now for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic, I lost my drive to practice. Ironically, when I have had the most time in my life to sit around and play the guitar, I didn't. As I started to think about this essay, I was thinking about how my relationship with practice had atrophied, along with some of my singing and guitaring skills. When there are no shows on your radar, and playing to your iPhone is the same as playing in your kitchen to no one, it kind of fucks with your mind. Hopelessness easily slips in and begs you to ask the question, what's the point? I'm still writing and recording music, but that's different than performing a song. In a year where our collective resolve has been challenged so thoroughly by a virus, the anemic response to that virus, political buffoonery, and the betrayal of rational thinking, it is easy to become a lame bag of soft tissue. There is so much out of my control that encourages helplessness. The other day I stood in my kitchen and played my guitar, practicing my songs, old tunes and new endeavors, firing up long, dormant synapses, reconnecting neurons, fortifying the neglected infrastructures I had been letting go. It felt good. For all the turmoil and out-of-control whirlwind of shit going on, I realized this is something I can control. There's a real power in that realization. What's the point? At some point, we will be getting back together again. And I want to be prepared to meet everyone halfway. Meet me halfway <laughs> across the sky. Ooh, is that a Disney? Disney? No, I think it, I'm pretty Moulin sure Rouge? it's a... No, I think it's a oh. Kenny Loggins song. Oh, yeah. But a da 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 but a da 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 I'm sure that guy practices a lot. Dude, you know it. <laughs> you know that. Didn't he write Danger Zone? Uh yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, he did. Yeah, so you're preparing. Your practice for you is a optimistic thing. At sort of. You're doing it optimistically. That's what I got from the last 10 seconds of your essay. Hmm. I paid attention to the whole thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, doodle master. I listened to it. That helps me concentrate. Oh, okay. Um, I was surprised that you didn't tell your tale of woe of how you got your guitar, how you had to walk to go get it. 
because <laughs> no, I had to walk to buy guitar strings once. I oh, my, my dad drove me to, to to buy the guitar. Man, I miss. I have been spreading a rumor, a false rumor, all <laughs> over town about your pop, making you walk to get your own guitar. No, no. I mean, um, nice essay. Thanks. There you go. We're all done. Right. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds about right. Um, I was struck by um, both. Both, both, both of us, both of us, Juan, are basically self-taught guitar players. You've had a couple mm-hmm. of guitar lessons. I've, I don't think I've had a guitar lesson. I've had cello lessons and piano lessons. I've had one voice lesson, but I'm self-taught mostly in in singing and guitar playing. And, um, I knew that you were also self-taught for the most part. Took some classes. Um, but I think that when you that made me think about the fact that like people who go to school for music are also taught how to practice. Sure. That's part of their education. Yeah. It's is, part of the structure. Yeah. Is that we will show you the proper way to practice. And when I have one piano student right now, and that this is one of the most vexing things about teaching over zoom is that I don't have the technology and she doesn't have the technology for us to simultaneously be able to like see each other and then also see hand placement and in-person teaching. Um, I know that there's other skilled teachers who have seemed to overcome this somehow, but hand placement so that you don't injure yourself and how to practice is very important. But also just like if you have a teacher that says the reason you should practice is this and gives you a goal to practice for it's, it's a different motivation than what you and I the different reasons which you and I are practicing now, which has been, we practice guitar because we saw other people do it. And we we're like, Oh, oh I uh, bet it takes a long time, just like a classical musician, just like any musician to get, to make it or a dancer or a painter to make something very, very challenging and difficult to do look effortless. It's actually with a lot of effort. Yeah. That, that's, um, you know, it's kind of like a self pay it forward type of thing. You're, putting your energy into, into, into your future you. Um, and I think when I, when I first started playing, um, it was, I was very frustrated by the fact that like, it's like, well, why doesn't it sound like when I play a a G chord or a C chord, why doesn't it sound like what it sounds like on that record? Right. And then, you know, years, like, I mean, for me and some people are, are certainly, uh, more more talented, like naturally inclined. Like for me, I'm not a natural musician. I've had to really work at it for a long, 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 long time. Um, and that that investment of time and 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 practice has really allowed me to seem like I'm better than what I technically am um, because I've developed a style. And and that's where all that stuff came from. And I think I was I remember. Maybe it was like maybe 88 or maybe 97 or no, 88 or 87. That's a huge span there Jeez, I time. know, I know. Um, <laughs> but I went to Florida. Totally different um, fashions too. Yes, completely. And I was a very different person. Between the, in those two different years? Yeah, those years. two decades. <laughs> um, but I remember not playing my guitar because I didn't have it with me or something for for a couple of weeks and then I came home and like every, everything that I had built up at that point had gone away. Right. And I was like, and it wasn't so much the calluses. It was just like, you know, I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to do this. 
and I was really angry about it. And it, it didn't like force me to practice more. It just it was just became a realization of like, well, if you don't keep with it, you're gonna lose part of it. And you know, I mean, you'll get it back. But well, no, it, but it becomes very challenging to advance. Yeah. And I think like where I am now, like, you know, yeah, I haven't played a whole lot of guitar, but I can still pick it up and like, you know, I, I've gotten to a point where I don't forget what I've done. Um, there are some things that I have to go back and I have to listen to my records and be like, well, how, what did I play there? <laughs> did I really play that? Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to relearn a song that it was I haven't played in probably 12 years. And mm. I don't remember the lyrics and I don't have them written down. And they're on my very first album. And I realized I was like, I don't know if I have a copy of it. Oh, no. It's somewhere. It's just not easily accessible. And I was like, <laughs> maybe it's on one of those tapes you found. Maybe. Um, there was somebody on Facebook last week, another musician friend who was talking about having kept a practice diary Whoa. for like two years and monitoring their progress. And oh, who yeah. was it? Do you remember who it was? Because uh, he was talking about 10,000 hours. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, he, he, had, uh, he had practiced for three hours a day for three years. Okay. And I think he was at like 3,000 hours or something like that. And yeah, because he was practicing every day. Yeah was his goal and that was inspired by that a little bit and then i you know then i had a beer i was like eh, <laughs> forget it <laughs> but it's it's true in everything like the, the whole idea of practice and all that other stuff it's true in everything like when i so maybe what, the, what we're talking about is actually discipline uh, well i i don't want to go back and rewrite a new essay <laughs> no. I'll, I'll just i'll just, I'll just edit it discipline <laughs> and now today's being, winner is Bart Simpson. <laughs> That's right. Bart Simpson. The, the Denver Broncos. Right. Um, but I, I, yeah, discipline and practice, I guess they're probably like you know, their best friends um, or mortal enemies, one or the other. <laughs> Work um, friends. But I, I always found that like when, I, when I'm recording a lot too, my, my recordings sound better when I'm spending like a couple days in a row working on something. Not only do I get it done faster because my brain is like working, it's in, in a certain groove, but right. also like my understanding of the mic or my, you know, just like the process, it just becomes easier and then everything sounds better rather than like, you know, clunky and stupid. Right. Yeah. And I think this is the stuff that people learn if they get a degree in music or a degree in art, mm -hmm. because somebody at a formative age says... The way to incrementally incrementally get better is to do it over and over again. And the rest of us are just like, it's a mystery. <laughs> how, how I don't even it? know how to do it. And Did then they make a deal with the devil? 25 years later, you're like, oh, I just got to sit my butt in the seat and uh -huh. like basically do the work. Yeah. <laughs> Lame. I, I think a great example of that was like Beck. Because like the, the story with Beck was that, or at least that I read in Rolling Stone like 20 years ago. Was that he was this, you know, he just wandered around with his guitar all the time. He had his guitar with him everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he had his guitar with him. And he just kept playing and playing and playing and playing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, to the point where, you know, it was, it was a bit of alienating. But still, it's like, but you look at that guy and it's like, oh, my Lord, that guy's so brilliant. Very creative, sonically creative. <laughs> and for he, has sure. the, he has the skills to back it up. You, you had said this to me. I don't know, maybe like a year or two ago or something, we were talking about creativity and stuff like that. And you said, well, you know, your, your create, your skill set is starting to reach your, your, your creativity, like your ability yeah. to produce the thing that you're hearing in your head 
is is now i mean we're, and that's why like i think my records for the past five years have been better than the records for the previous 15 years because you know i i finally their tipping point had happened with my with with what i could do um and i think that's true with 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 most artists I, you know i just you know at the ripe age of i guess near 50 i'm just finally oh i'm finally getting there all right i'm there for the decline well Excellent. that's the whole picasso stays on who were those guys? They were visual artists, painters. All oh, right, Cezanne. Didn't he start like in his like seventies or something? Well, there was an article that I read. I don't know. Sometime isn't haven't we all read an article? And um, this <laughs> and article that I read. Ener- your energy level in this podcast is amazing. <laughs> I think it's rocking. Thank you. Uh, you know what? I will definitely put a couple filters on it. Try to pump it up a little bit. What are you gonna do? Like raise the pitch of my voice, and so I sound like this? I'm gonna I'm gonna put the robot voice on you. And you're gonna make me sound like everything is great. <laughs> everything is great. Uh-huh. I'll do the rest of the podcast in this voice. Okay, that wasn't <laughs> really my point. That's fine. Anyway, Anyhow, Picasso Cezanne. and Cezanne yes. is that the if you just measure their output on, or their um, if you used as the rubric of measurement monetary value for their work. Picasso's earlier works would had were garnering much more money than his later works, whereas Cezanne's later works were garnering his fame and fortune—not personal fortune, but right. just pulling in a lot of bucks for those paintings. And I think that, if I'm recalling this correctly, if you look at the work of Cezanne's work, his best work happened in the '60s, '50s, right. and '60s. And it's like, well, a lot of us artists are are mid-career now and are grateful to have had to push, well, grateful to fans and audience members and sometimes family members who support you and like friends chosen and, you know, family chosen and of origin that support you, that help you get to become a mid-career artist because it is a gift, but it's also you have to push through a bunch of bullshit. I can swear now because I wrote this. I was like, whoa, there's lots of swearing in your essay. Um, I'm sorry. It's okay. Fuck it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Just put a little E. Fuck it. Can we use it in that voice so I have higher energy? So my energy is too low for... Maybe it's the weight of patriarchy. This <laughs> yes, is the weight of the patriarchy in my house. Yes. Anyway. Um, That's my overbearing weight. The concept of that you have to, like, it's... We're lucky that we had the will and the energy to push through to this point in our, in our lives. And also lived long enough to have the wisdom and experience to dovetail with um, creativity and skill because that means that the best work is ahead of us, which is an exciting thing to think about, especially in these dark times. Yeah. Well, it's also... We're at 50 minutes. Did you know that? Oh, are we? Yeah. Sorry, listeners. Okay. I mean, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Lead with an apology and and with praise. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I think I was just going to say, like, you know, you also, there comes this point where you just, you know, you're like, well, fuck it. It doesn't, you know, I'll take the risk. I don't care. Like all the, all the stuff that's expected of you. I mean, from, from the patriarchy, of course, um, that comes in and, you know, you got to have children now. You don't have a mortgage. What's wrong with you? You're not in a soul sucking job. That's going to kill you. You know? You just have to ignore those things, um, or at least just say, "Well, I don't, I don't care so much." And then that allows for all the other stuff to kind of come in there too, as to not play by their rules. 
The white male rules. <laughs> that Stupid takes practice too. Resistance takes practice. It does. So when I was thinking about the course of this conversation, that I mean, we could probably do five episodes on this one topic alone because I feel like it is very broad and could be interpreted in a lot of different ways. So maybe we should revisit in future. Sure. And do another practice essay, but we'll call it discipline. Mm. Mm-hmm. Discipline me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whose energy are we talking about now? Not mine. All right. Well, let's just wrap this up. Um, yeah, that's enough of that. Yeah, because I mean, you're worried about the timestamp. Well, um, we had made a commitment. We, our that, commitment is still true. Our commitment to ourselves to keep these a little bit briefer. Right. Well, in, in the spirit of that, um, if I were, you know, it, let's say that it was like Cyber Saturday or any day of the week. Oh, ooh, ooh. if it's the first Friday of any month and I wanted to get some music and make sure that you get the lion's share of money for that, where would I go? You would go to ellencherry.bandcamp.com. Awesome. Now, if I'm, if I'm just kicking it around, you know, on ellencherry.bandcamp.com, you know, is there any way that I could support you in a sustainable way? <laughs> well, you could buy the tracks. A sustainable long-term way? <laughs> you could also become a subscriber. Oh, yeah. I'm not advertising it right now because I'm not sure if I'm going to continue it. What? Yeah. You're crazy. I'm thinking about You're, dis- that's, disbanding that my subscription. That is unacceptable. <laughs> I rarely pull out my white male patriarchy card. But you're going to lay it on the table right I, now. Here it comes. Here it comes. That doesn't sound like a card. That's not the same as the knocking. I mean, hey, so, <laughs> hey, Dakota. He, Dakota's our Foley artist. Can you put in a little uh, card slapping in there? I don't know if that sounded better. I know. I wanted the weight of my my male superiority. Okay. I wanted it like. Kung kung. Right. Yeah. 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 Like it's a Law and Order episode. Um, no, okay, we'll, we'll have to argue about this later. Yeah. But that's ridiculous. Not, okay. That's just, I, you it's know. just something I've been thinking about, uh, just different ways of... Man. But we'll see. But you, if you... <laughs> all right, yeah. Let's, you can... Let's all just go drink out of toilets while we're at it. <laughs> no. That's fine. I do have a subscription service. Yeah, it's $4 a month. It's, it's kick-ass. I, I subscribe to it twice. <laughs> ellencherry.bandcamp.com slash subscribe. What about you? Let's talk about... Let's talk about you. I don't talk about me. Um, Andrew Grimm. Yeah, you can find my stuff at uh, junestar.bandcamp.com. And I always suggest people go to forward slash subscribe on there. And for $5 a month, you get everything that I do, plus a bunch of content that I just make up here that is exclusive to my subscribers. Yeah, Um, it's great. And it's the, uh, it's the, I think it's the most sustainable way to do it. And the reason I bring up Bandcamp is because Bandcamp, uh, once you hit a certain, um, selling a, a dollar amount for for sales they reduce yeah their, their fee cut. so Yay, it's 15 percent. but now i'm i'm at 10 percent. oh nice how much do you have to sell is it like five grand or it's something? five thousand within a year oh yeah i'm not ever gonna get there and that well, not, not with this that, attitude that's right <laughs> well you, you beat not me to with it. this attitude i just spiked but you. uh sorry that's okay i'll let it um no with this attitude <laughs> but but the uh but the idea is also they're, they're starting to do live streaming. And to me, it's like, yeah, I mean, I would be all in with Bandcamp uh, for all their stuff just because I do. I really do love Bandcamp. And you can, when you sell your merch on there, they give you all the information and they calculate everything for you. And 
Well. Oh, I see now why you were trying to stretch it out because you had already put it in place to be at 50 minutes, I guess. Yeah. I understand. Or maybe 55. No, it's probably 50 minutes. Because okay. remember, I had to pause it and we, and we That's spent right. all that time getting my track ready. Right. Anyhow, it's really good to see you again, Ellen Cherry. It's good to see you too. And uh, hope all the listeners go out there and, and spend lots of money. And oh, and the reason I brought up Bandcamp. Hurry, it's getting louder. <laughs> I'll fix that later. Um, is that is that on the first Friday of every month, Bandcamp waives their fees. Yes. So if you if you buy merch off of Bandcamp from your favorite artist on the first Friday of every month, they get all of the money, less like there's one processing fee, which you can't get around. But, right, the credit card stuff. Yeah, but, uh, but please do that. And um, Thank you to everyone who always listens to us and comments, and thank you for listening to this. We're going to try to keep the energy going despite... My, apparently... You probably should have eaten that Fast Break bar before we started. This podcast is not sponsored by Reese's Fast Break, but it should be... King size. (laughs) Reese's Fast Break, the most terrible, delicious candy bar. King King size. size. (laughs) All right, goodbye. Bye. Bye.